Well, here we are again, the first Sunday of Lent. Some of you know this story, but the first time that we as a community participated in Lent, we didn't call it Lent, we called it making room for God because Lent just seemed a little too Catholic. And over the course of those six weeks, those 40-some days, we actually lost, I believe, 200 people because it was too Catholic, right? And there's a little part of me that goes, oh, if they could see us now. (laughs) Um, We even say the word Catholic out loud every Sunday. Wow. But for those of you keeping track, this is the third Sunday in a row that the gospel text shows Jesus being led out into the wilderness, into the desert or the deserted place. As we were approaching this season of Lent, preparing for this season of Lent as a community, I was trying to sort out a theme for us to lean into, like what is going to be the focus of what we as a community are leaning into And I stumbled onto this theme again and again, again and again. And it speaks to the way that again and again throughout Lent and through so much of our lives, really, we encounter suffering and we encounter brokenness. Like Jesus, it feels like this past year has been a time when we as a people again and again are thrust back out into the wilderness. We're thrust back out into these isolating, deserted places. And as we move into this season of Lent, again and again, we become invited to follow the story of Jesus. We're invited to follow Jesus into those deserted places, into wilderness, into temptation. And what we hope and what we trust is that again and again, God comes to us. And God claims us as his own. Again and again, we become people who are made new in the image of Christ. We are the ones who are made whole by the God who loves us. And that even when we find ourselves in these cycles of wilderness and loss and difficulty, God comes and breaks these cycles. God offers us a new way forward. Again, and again, and again. I've said this already, but this past year has just been so disorienting for so many reasons. And in a lot of ways, it feels like Lent of 2020 never really ended, right? Uh, As someone on the internet once said of Lent last year, this is the Lentiest Lent that was ever Lented. And it feels like it just kept happening, that Easter never really arrived for us. And here we are, a year later, moving back into this season. And we move back in, and this is the oddity of it, we move back in willingly. We step into this season of fasting and prayer and extra practices, and we do it willingly to participate in the life and the rhythm of Jesus. Still, there's something that is exciting to me about Lent every year, as awful as it is, as terrible as it is, there's still something that draws me in 
about this season. And I think even in this season where things continue to feel unsure, continue to feel uncertain, I'm convinced that we need these kinds of rituals, both old and new, these rituals that help us remember who we are, practices that transform us into becoming the people that God imagines. These kinds of embodied practices like Lent, they they tend to build a kind of spiritual muscle memory for us so that as we participate in these 40 days and we do so voluntarily, these 40 days of fasting and extra stuff, then in those moments of our lives where we experience difficulty, where we experience lack, when all of a sudden we have to become people who trust and depend on God to sustain us, it's not foreign space for us. We look back to a season like Lent and we remember how to be the people of God. We need Lent in this way because it shapes us and it forms us into becoming faithful disciples of Jesus as we again and again bring all of who we are to God, trusting that God will come to us and meet us along the way. This is the story that we encounter in today's gospel. Again, just to highlight verse 10, it says, and just as he was coming up out of the water, he, speaking of Jesus, saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son, the beloved, and with you I am well pleased. What we see in this brief text is that God meets Jesus at the waters of baptism before he's ever tempted in the wilderness. First and foremost, as we begin this journey together through the wilderness of Lent, we have to go knowing that God is the one who comes to us first, that God is the one who comes and claims us first. God is the one who meets us in this liminal, in-between space, on the threshold of the waters, at the uncertainty of the edge, and God looks at us. And in the same way that he names Jesus his beloved, God claims us as the beloved community. In the midst of our reluctance or our doubt or our eagerness, wherever you find yourself, God meets us and calls us sons and daughters. Again and again and again. God comes to us. I think this is where we so quickly get sideways when it comes to fasting in a season like Lent. Fasting is kind of a gnarly thing. It's so easy for us to think that our fasting and our making room for God is a way for us to earn something from God. Like we're somehow doing God a favor or if we actually do this really, really well that God will love us more or better, but we don't barter with God like that. That's not how this works. Remember, God causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous, that God sends rain to the just and to the unjust. So that means that 
There's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. Eugene Peterson put it this way. He says, the mistake that we so often make is thinking that God's interest and care for us waxes and wanes according to our spiritual temperature. But we don't fast and pray and take on new spiritual disciplines in order to gain anything that God hasn't already given to us. We fast and we pray and we practice to remember who we were always called to be in the first place, that we were always people who were called beloved. In this way, fasting isn't necessarily for God. It's done unto God. It's not something that necessarily makes God happy or increases God's interest and care for us. Fasting is really for us in that it weans us from our dependency on all of the stuff that hinders us from depending on God. The things that actually stop us from trusting Christ and trusting the power of resurrection and trusting God to provide us with everything that we need to sustain us. Fasting in a season like Lent, it allows us, it invites us to be made empty again and again and again in a way that makes room for God to fill us with everything that God imagines for us. It's a kind of call for us to renew our commitment to what the resurrection really means in each of our lives. One of the things that I love about this season is that throughout the church's history, this has been a time when those who have been cut off from the community of faith are welcomed back in, that they're made whole again with the community. This is what this season of Lent is about. When we say these words about remembering who we are and who God has called us to be, who God imagines us to be, it's something of the beloved community of faith that participating in a season like Lent is not just an individual practice to make us better Christians as individual people. It's about us. It's about remembering who we are, who we are called to be. But before we ever embark on this journey, before we ever set out to follow Jesus into the wilderness, we first and foremost follow Jesus in this identity-shifting sacrament of baptism. It's interesting that even though all four gospel accounts begin this story of the good news differently, they all include Jesus' baptism as the springboard, as the launching point for all of his work, for all of his ministry, that it all starts in this moment of going down into the waters. This means for us a number of things. For one, it aligns Jesus with John the Baptist's countercultural movement, right? This movement that was calling for repentance, that was calling for change. What so much of this season is about, that again and again we hear the call to repentance, this call to turn back to the life that God imagines for us. It also shows us that Jesus chooses to begin his ministry with those on the margins. We don't have a great sense of Middle Eastern geography. Most of us don't. 
But where Jesus would have been in Galilee to where Jesus would have waded into the waters in the Jordan would have been a trek of about 100 miles. Not just walking down the street. Jesus actually travels to go and be with those outside the center of religious power, to be with those outside the center of political power or socioeconomic status. And it's there and it's these people that are the first ones to see and to bear witness to the God who comes near to us in Jesus, to the God who calls us beloved. Jesus' baptism also places him with the crowds, with the people, showing us that his ministry is one that is embodied through solidarity with one another, not by separation from one another. It's about moving toward one another. Jesus' baptism also echoes God's goodness refrain of Genesis 1 announcing the goodness of his son, the goodness inherently present in all of God's creation. I do think it's important for us to note that Jesus does not need to be baptized in the way that you and I need to be baptized. Jesus' baptism wasn't for the forgiveness of his sin. He was the blameless one. He was the one who was without sin. Jesus goes down into the waters of baptism in order to sanctify the waters for us. So that for us, the water makes us new. So that for us, the water re-images us as beloved sons and daughters. People who are brought together as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the story of the gospel, that Jesus is the one who goes before us. He's the one who's making a way for us so that even when we follow Jesus into the wilderness, as we do willingly and by choice in a season like Lent, we still know that Christ is the one who goes before us. Christ is the one that sustains us in that liminal space. That Christ is the one reminding us who and whose we are. Reminding us even in the wilderness that God's love and delight in us is not based on what we do or what we accomplish, but simply by who we are. Going into Lent, into the wilderness, we have to remember that we go as the ones who are called beloved. Rabbi Abraham Heschel once said, in everyone's life, there are moments where there is a lifting of the veil at the horizon of the known, opening a sight of the eternal. Each of us has at least once in life experienced the momentous reality of God. To some people, these events are like shooting stars, passing and unremembered. In others, they kindle a light that is never quenched. The remembrance of that experience and the loyalty to the response of that moment are the forces that sustain our faith. In this sense, faith is faithfulness, loyalty to an event, loyalty to our response. What is he saying here? He's saying that oftentimes, 
Faith is being faithful to a time when we had faith. Faith is being faithful to a time when we had faith. And this is what it means to remember that as we journey into the wilderness, we, are, we go as the ones who are called beloved. We remember those times when God broke in to our lives in some unignorable way, even just for a moment, and being faithful to that moment. We remember. When I think about the moments when God has broken into my life, I remember that it usually happens outdoors. A year ago, this was good news because we were all settling into pandemic mode and we were encouraging one another. We were sharing our self-care tips and our routines. We were reminding one another to not abandon your regular rhythms of life. You know, wake up in the morning, eat breakfast, take a shower, get dressed for the day. You know all of the normal stuff that we do. We were taking walks. We were finally jumping into all of those projects that we have been putting off, learning how to ride bikes, all kinds of stuff. This past week, my wife looked at me, molded into my couch, in my sweatpants on Wednesday afternoon, and said, when was the last time you took a shower? <laughs> When you can't answer that question quickly and with conviction, you know something has gone awry. But it was a kind of wake-up call moving into this season of Lent, remembering that the moments when I felt most deeply connected to God, they don't happen sitting in my sweatpants on the couch after three days of recycled indoor air. That's why one of my practices for Lent is going outside, even just for a moment, taking a deep breath, leaving my phone inside. The cold made it hard this week. Being faithful to a time when we had faith doesn't have to be a grand gesture. It can be a simple practice that just helps us remember that we're human beings and that we're people who are loved by God. As we close, I want us to look at this text and see just how faithful God is in coming to us. In our Old Testament text today, we didn't read it, but we see the story of Noah and the flood, which, by the way, is not a children's story. If your kids come back in <laughs> in a few minutes like, hey, we heard about Noah and the flood, that's totally fine. Don't tell them anything. I remember being taught this story by Mrs. Brenda, my Sunday school teacher. This is back when you learned Bible stories on flannel boards. Uh, if you don't know what a flannel board is, imagine a whiteboard. Now imagine it green and fuzzy, and you used to stick pictures on it in order to teach stories to children. Uh, and of course, you know, you have the ark, and you have the rainbow, and you have the waves and the doves. And of course, this whole story of Noah and the flood is meant to point out the blamelessness of Noah and how it's his blamelessness that actually saves him, right? 
but it never sat right with me the way that no one was ever touched by Noah's blamelessness. That even though he was righteous, the text says Noah was righteous, blameless in his generation. And it seems that Noah was perfectly content not reaching out. Never letting his life actually touch the lives of other people in his blamelessness. To put it bluntly, Noah may have been righteous, but Noah only saved himself. And God's people waiting for a Messiah read this story and they say to themselves, we need a savior like Noah, but we need a better Noah. We need a Noah whose righteousness calls out to us rather than letting us be destroyed. And when Jesus steps onto the scene, Jesus doesn't avoid the waters of baptism. Jesus goes down into the waters. In the words of Dr. Green, Jesus is the better Noah who does not save himself, but he dies with the unrighteous under the flood of God's judgment. The text that we read in 1 Peter today, hang with me here, it says this. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. What does this mean? I don't know. My friend, Father Kenneth Tanner, says this about this text. He says, if you find yourself in hell, a victim of natural disaster, drowned by your own ruined heart or participations in evil, do not be afraid or lose hope. A preacher is going to come. And the preacher is the crucified and risen creator who is patient and who loves the world. What are we saying? We're saying that again and again, God meets us. Again and again, no matter if you find yourself in the wilderness or drowned in the waters, God comes to us. God is faithful to come to us, that Jesus, becoming the better Noah, saves those that Noah couldn't, joining them in the waters and then proclaiming the good news that the one who is truly righteous, truly blameless, has been given for those who are unrighteous. Again and again, God comes to us. If only we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. 
So my invitation to all of us today is to return to those moments. Be faithful to the times when you had faith. And let's wander into the wilderness together boldly, knowing that God has come to us and God claims us and God has made a way for us. Again and again, God comes to us. Amen.